Today on Pilgrim Radio's His People, Chelsea Sobolik, with a gospel vision for women and work. And so when we are in jobs that we just want to bang our head against the wall, God's with us in in those moments. He's present and he hasn't forsaken us in those those really hard days. Chelsea Sobolik, next. Women are obviously an integral part of God's call to work, to create and advance God's kingdom. Work can look quite different for each woman. It could be in the home, with children, or in a professional environment, or some combination of all of these. In her new book, Called to Cultivate, a gospel vision for women and work, Chelsea Sobolik lays out a robust theological foundation while answering many pressing questions about women and work. She's the director of government relations for a nonprofit in Washington, D.C. Here's Sunny Kane. Tell us, who is Chelsea Patterson Sobolik? Well, thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here. Um, a little bit of background. I live and work in the Washington, D.C. area. I work for a large um, nonprofit called uh, World Relief. I do their government relations and absolutely love it. Uh, my husband and I met uh, in the D.C. area. He's from Texas. I grew up in North Carolina. Um, and then we just got home at the end of uh, 2023 um, from India, where we adopted our son. So big life transition, um, but the the best best type of transition. Now, we're going to talk about your brand new book, uh, and you released this in October called To Cultivate a Gospel Vision for Women and Work. What led you to write this, and can you share the heart behind it? So I wrote the book I wish I'd had um, when I was walking through a really challenging professional season. I share this story in the book, but I was working on Capitol Hill at the time, um, and it was really my dream job. I was working for a member whom at the time I had a lot of respect for. Um, my policy uh, portfolio I got to do a lot of issues I, I loved. Um, but to make a long story short, he, my boss um, ended up resigning in the middle of his term in the middle of the Me Too movement. And uh, when a member of Congress leaves in the middle of their term, the staff lose their job. And so I was sitting there three months into marriage, having lost my job because of nothing I had done wrong. And I did what I've done in other challenging situations in my life. I went to the bookstore and thought, okay, I'll just buy a lot of books and kind of read my way through um, through this. And my story's a, a little bit unique, but what wasn't unique was I was a Christian woman trying to navigate work. And what I found was there weren't that many, hardly any at the time. Um, there's actually quite a, a number of great books out there um, on uh, Christian women and work now. But I just bought a ton of books on, you know, work, calling, vocation, um, but wrote the book I wish I'd had and what I hope is a companion for so many other women thinking through whether it is really challenging things in the workplace, but also um, what does scripture say about work and women and what are opportunities we have in our work and 
um, kind of addressing some of the unique opportunities and challenges that women, Christian women uniquely have with their work. So I, I'm so, so thankful for this, this book, but then also um, really hope it serves as a companion to other women thinking through a lot of similar questions that, that I've thought through. I love that. I love that when you found yourself in a moment of needing a solution and needing this companion, that your mind went to, how can I help other women that surely are in this same place as me? Um, you talk about a woman grasping a deep understanding of why we work. And you mentioned that the why changes everything. And you take this back to the garden. Can you briefly share about the value and worth of work? So from the very first pages of scripture in Genesis 1-1, we see God at work um, and he obviously creates the world with his words. Um, and then he creates Adam and Eve um, and he commands them to work. He gives them what's known as the creation mandate. Um, so work predates the fall. And I think that's really important to note because, I mean, all of us could probably raise our hands and say we feel the implications of the fall in our work every single day. But work was originally designed to be a good thing for humanity. Um, and it's actually one of the ways through which um, humans image God. And uh, of course, um, not not everyone can work. Um, we don't spend, you know, from womb to tomb working, but it is one of the ways through which humans um, image God to the world. And since the very, very beginning, um, women have played a vital role in the flourishing of their families, their communities, and ultimately the kingdom of God. So I think it's really important to lay the foundation that work predates the fall. Of course, we know in Genesis 3, um, the fall mars everything, including our work. Um, but the good news of scripture and the gospel is that sin doesn't have the final say, God does. And so as we're reading scripture, God has told us the end of the story. We know what is to come, and that is that He's going to redeem and restore all things. And so, um, as we're working, one of the things that we're doing is practicing for eternity. I really do believe um, we're going to work in heaven. Um, it's going to be redeemed bodies, redeemed work. But I, I think really thinking through and shifting our vision and perspective on what work even is and why Christians are in involved in work, and then realizing that uh, work is actually a good thing and we can step into it knowing that we are um, imaging God when we work. What do you mean that we image God in our work? Obviously, we see God at work and um, God created humans in his, his very own image. And like I mentioned, He gave us the creation mandate, which is the calling to be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. But he also called both Adam and Eve to work and to cultivate the earth. Um, that commandment was not just given to Adam, it was given to Adam and Eve. So one of the ways through which um, he said humans are going to give the world pieces of what I am like is through working. Like I said, there are people who, um, because of the impacts of sin, can't work, um, people with physical disabilities or, or mental disabilities, but the vast majority of us do spend the vast majority of our days working, whether that's inside the home, outside the home, a combination of the two, maybe women working, raising children inside the home, but also having a side hustle inside. I mean, there's so many different ways through which work looks like, even if we're not receiving a paycheck, um, you know, 
many of us might care for aging parents or volunteer in our communities or or whatnot, that we do spend the vast majority of our, our days working. Um, and I think one of the beauties of of scripture that we see is we are called and commanded to work, but our dignity as people isn't based on our ability. Um, it's not based upon what we do, but based upon who we are. And so even for people who are unable to work for their lifetime or for a season, working is just a part of what it means to be made in the image of God. Um, and so remembering that you know, we're not valuable to God because of what we do, but rather because of who we are and who He has said we are. Now, can you share the idea, you you talk about this in your book, about redemptive work. Uh, what do you mean by that, and how does it transform our approach to work? So after I left Capitol Hill, I actually was working at a job that I did not enjoy whatsoever. And I really, really struggled because I had been you know, basically at my dream job and I was on the other end of the spectrum at a job. I cried on my commute to going to work. I did not enjoy this job. And I really wrestled with questions of, is God still at work in a job that I don't enjoy? Does God care about my professional life? Um, How do I honor God in a job I don't find fulfillment in? Um, And I think the undergirding question is, how does God redeem work? And I think one of the, the first and foundational things um, I, I would say here is that our entire lives um, can be a long obedience in the same direction, <laughs> to steal a phrase from Eugene Peterson, as we put our heads down and commit to, to faithfulness. I think we're all going to walk through seasons of life, whether it's personally or professionally or in our churches, where we have really, really, really hard moments. And remembering that God does not leave or forsake us in those moments. Um, but the, the other two things I really found as I dove into the topic of work specifically and how God redeems that. is so the Hebrew term um, that's used in Genesis 2 simultaneously means work, worship, and service. And I love this because, um, of course, work, you know, we're producing things or we're um, helping love our neighbor through our work, but we're also if we view it through the lens of worship, that means our whole days can be invitations that we can, you know, wash a dish or change a diaper or send an email. And it's a, one of the small ways that God's called us to worship Him. And then the second thing, um, and this has been really big for me, Martin Luther once said, God doesn't need our good works, but your neighbor does. And so really thinking through how does my work help me to love my neighbor. Of course, it's one of the great ways we can worship God, but how how do we love our neighbor through our work? And there's some some fields, some jobs, you can see pretty easily how your work helps you to love your neighbor. But then there's other roles that you think, I'm just stocking shelves of Walmart, or I'm just doing, you know, something that might not feel very significant. But I share this in the book, the example of, I wrote several chapters of the book in a coffee shop. And for that moment to happen, for me to be able to type on my um, computer, to drink a cup of coffee, the amount of people who had to do their work well, I would never be able to design a computer. But someone else has that gifting. And even if they're not, not a Christian, they are using their gifting excellently. And it's it helps me be able to 
um, step into what God called me to in that season to write a book to hopefully love my neighbor. So I think those two pillars of work is worship and work is a way to love our neighbor really does help us reframe um, all of our work. And of course, there's work that is sinful, but most of the work that Christians engage in, I think we can have these two pillars in our hands as we're, we're thinking through the hours in our day and how we spend them. For the woman who is out there that finds herself in the in the place where she's in a workplace that she she does not enjoy. She is struggling every day and she is, you know, daily trying to just be obedient, keep being faithful and showing up. Um, knowing that you have been there before, what word of encouragement would you just give her in this moment? I definitely understand. I think there's two things. I'll I'll try to be quick with my answer here. Um, Number one, you know, I I really try to cling to and remember, and even in in work now when you know I've changed my tenth diaper of the day and no one sees that or it's it's not enjoyable labor. um, God's promise that He never leaves or forsakes His children. And so when we are in jobs that we just want to bang our head against the wall, God's with us in the in those moments. He's present and He hasn't forsaken us in those those really hard days. Um, so that really, really was helpful to know. God's I mean, it sounds so simple to say that when that truth sinks into our hearts, it really does help reimagine even those hard moments that knowing God's with me. And then then the second thing I would say I really, really, really committed to, in that job, um, I was an executive assistant, and I committed, I said, I want to be the best executive assistant that my boss has ever, ever had. I want to step into this office, even though I do not like it at all. Um, I want to step into this office and represent Christ well to my coworkers. I want them to know the light of Christ. And to my knowledge, I was the only Christian in that that environment, but I was able to have some really deep conversations with coworkers, you know, walking to get a cup of coffee or over lunch that did give me an opportunity to share my my Christian faith. And then when I left, and I don't say this to boast at all, but I, I do say it to say when we commit to something and really put our head down, my boss did tell me I was the best executive assistant he'd ever had. And I, even if I never said it's because I'm a Christian, I want to commit to excellence. I, you know, I was able to show him that hopefully I was a person of character and was able to um, commit to to excellence. And I think, you know, I would encourage others to remember wherever we are, even if we don't enjoy it, that we can use that small snippet of where we are in history um, and that small space we're in to shine shine the light of Christ wherever we are and. So I think those two things really, really helped me in that role. Um, and I've, I mean, I carry them into my work now, but that role specifically was incredibly challenging and, and really helped me. It sounds like you're really encouraging people to zoom out 
and really see the purpose in it, right? Even just having God give a fresh perspective of, you know, maybe what they're dragging themselves to do every single day and the imaging of of Him and the embodiment of Him in the workplace. Uh, now, I know in your book, you talk a lot about Ezer, uh, what it means, how we see it in Scripture. And in your book, you mentioned that it's often misinterpreted in, in culture. Would you unpack that a little bit? Absolutely. So um, in Genesis, um, the word helper, and I'm not a Hebrew scholar, this is just research, but the, the term that's used for Eve as a helper um, is translated to Ezer, E-Z-E-R in Hebrew. And I think there have been streams of Christianity that have misapplied what it means for a woman to be a helper. Um, and, you know, I, I've seen it misapplied in ways that um, don't necessarily view men and women with the equal dignity, worth, and value that God has imparted to both of them. What this term, it does mean help. It means helper. But um, this is the same, the very same term that God uses to describe his character as our helper in the book of Psalms. So, you know, Psalm 121, um, I lift my eyes to the hills, from where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. When you see that term help applied to God, God's character in scripture, the Psalms, I think are kind of the easiest place to zoom in. It's the term Ezer or Ezer, um, using that word help as God's own character. And so, I think it's a really beautiful thing when we step back and say, okay, God gave two women part of his character that he didn't explicitly give to man in the sense of, um, of course, men can be, can help, but he explicitly gave to women, you are the helper. And in being the helper, we have God's own, it's modeling God's own character. And so it's not, us as women being the helper, I'm complimentary, and I, I do view um, men and women with equal dignity, worth, and value, but but different roles in, in certain situations. But, you know, I, I think I'd say knowing that we are not second class in the kingdom of God. And that's really, I think, the point I want to get across is women are just as valuable. And, you know, being called a helper is not it should not be thought of or used in a derogatory manner at all, but it should be used as women are um, modeling God's God's characteristic in this in this unique way. You mentioned the misrepresentation in mm-hmm. culture that you have seen. Um, what what does that look like when it's misrepresented? This Ezer. You know, I, I'll, I'll speak to you know maybe some some ways I've seen this in church settings particularly but also in our culture writ large i mean we're really really seeing i mean both in the u.s and around the world um women and girls not being treated um well i mean sexual abuse is rampant around the world i've worked in the human rights uh space for a number of years and i mean the amount of attention given to women and girls because they are so mistreated around the world um, is staggering and heartbreaking. So I think we see Christians and non-Christians, I mean, 
the Southern Baptist Convention, you know, has gone through their own Me Too movement with sexual abuse in churches. And I know the Catholic Church has gone through something very similar, um, which is heartbreaking. And it should cause us to pause and say, what is happening both in place, you know, in spaces that don't claim to be Christian, but, the, in, but also in spaces that are Christian, which I think at the, I mean, there's a lot we could say here, and it's a very complicated topic, but at the root of both, you know, in Afghanistan, where women and girls have next to no rights, or in a, a church where a woman wasn't believed when she spoke up about abuse, I think at the at the core of both of those, what's happening is people are not viewing women, girls, with the value and dignity um, that God has said that they have. And um, I think this really does, I think Christians really do have a big responsibility to push back against the mistreatment of women and girls wherever we see it. And I mean, we can't be all things to all people, but I do think um, we should use our, our voices and our platforms where we're able to to call it out and to help create a better world for women and girls. Yeah. You also, you say this, you said, when we grasp the deep value and importance that God has given to women, it will propel us to become different kinds of women. What do you mean by this? So there's a quote by Elizabeth Elliot that I absolutely love. She says, um, the fact that I'm a woman does not make me a different kind of Christian, but the fact that I'm a Christian does make me a different type of woman. And I think we, the, the same applies for, for men too, but we ought, everything in our lives should be, should be different when our female coworkers are gossiping um, and we're tempted to take part in that because it's, it might be one of the ways that other women in the workplace build relationships or build, you know, community. We can say, you know what, I'm a Christian and God's word has a lot to say about my tongue, so I'm not going to engage in this. There's just so many different ways, um, you know, how women dress in the workplace. Christian women do have a responsibility to dress in, in different ways than our non-Christian sisters. And so I think everything um, that we do and say should, ought to be different. And of course, again, I'll be the first to raise my hand. I fail at this every single day and so many different ways, but having that that perspective, I'm wearing glasses, almost like wearing glasses, thinking through how can I be an ambassador today? How can I show the world a beautiful picture of what Christian femininity and womanhood actually looks like? And it's not this caricature, but showing the world it's actually good to be a woman. You know, right now there's there's people who can't even say there are two sexes, men and women. And so we really do, um, at a pretty basic level, have, have the truth, but then we also get to show the world beautiful pictures of what it means to be a woman. And it is a good thing to be man and woman. I, I hear so much just from the beginning of just hearing this image of God that we carry 
and understanding that as women, we are helpers and that that is a beautiful thing in the image of God. And you're calling us higher to focus on the purpose with which we carry, not just as Christians in the workplace, but as a woman in the workplace. And, you know, there is a lot of talk, culturally speaking, about a woman's highest calling. And sometimes you'll hear, and so even just for a woman out there who um, has heard, and you say this this way in your book, perhaps you've been told that a woman's highest calling is to be a wife and a mother. While those are good, God-designed roles, they weren't ever meant to be a woman's highest or truest calling. So as we're wrapping up here, I would just love to hear, what do you see as a woman's highest and truest calling? And um, maybe a little bit on, you know, differentiating calling and assignment. Absolutely. Well, I feel very passionate about this um, because one of the reasons that being a wife and mother is not a woman's highest calling is because God does not call every woman into those roles. Single and childless women matter just as much in God's kingdom as wives and mothers. Um, So I think it's really important to rightly honor all women, not just um, women who step into to certain roles. And, and the second thing is our caller, callings are larger than our roles um, because God's call to Christians applies to everyone, everywhere, always. Um, so, so scripture tells us what our, our highest calling as women and the highest calling for men too, um, which is the great commission and the great commandment. Um, those are our highest callings. I think the second thing I would say, you know, God doesn't call every woman into every role for the rest of her life. So I think, like you said, seasons and assignments, especially for women, our lives are so seasonal, a a lot more so than men. We, you know, maybe step back for a little bit to raise children. We step forward maybe a little for in the workplace. So our lives are much more seasonally. And the second thing is, and this is hard to say, but our roles might not last forever, but to, as best as we can, hold onto them, um, not with an iron grip, because we, we never know when our, our roles are going to change. And so if we make a role our ultimate calling or our ultimate purpose in life, uh, there, there's the reality that it could change, but also those roles were never meant to bear the weight of that calling. Our calling is higher than our role, which is to love God, love our neighbor, and make disciples of of the nation. So I think really stepping back and saying, okay, as a woman, I might be a wife and a mother. I, I am. You know, listeners may or may not be wife or mother. And wherever they find themselves, just remembering that our calling is is higher than our role. And then finally, I'd just like to ask for our listeners that have been, you know, listening in to this, how can they pray specifically for you and your work and perhaps for this book? Mm, I love this question so much. You know, I I really do pray that this book would give women freedom. I think I say that because it can be easy, I think, for a lot of us to almost box ourselves in or to look at other women. I do this all the time to look at other women and compare and say, well, she seems to have it all together, which no one has it all together. But when, when I look on Instagram, you know, women I see who 
seem to have it more together than me and I can compare and be jealous or seem to box myself in over here. And I really want this book to give women freedom to know that if they're faithfully following Christ, there might be some hard seasons, there might be some incredible seasons, but to almost, you know, feel the freedom to run the race that God has called us to and not to look over here and be envious of her or jealous of her or trying to have what she has, but to have the freedom to be content and run with excellence the race that God has called us to. So I think that would be my prayer that women who read the book would would feel that freedom and would feel the freedom to to step into um, their calling as as women, but also to to know that at the end of the day, um, if we're faithfully following Christ, seeking to glorify Him, loving Him, and loving our neighbor, you know, I think we're we're on the right track. You've been listening to His People on Pilgrim Radio. Many thanks to today's guest, Chelsea Sobolik, author of Called to Cultivate a gospel vision for women and work. She is Director of Government Relations for World Relief. Coming up on tomorrow's program, it's Dawn Sunshine on learning to share your faith in Christ as a lifestyle. And understand that your sovereign God is going to bring you people that you're going to connect with every single day. When you have those connections, those are divine appointments by your sovereign God recognize why you are where you are, which is the first point of our training, and then turn the conversation. And here's where everybody gets stuck. That's tomorrow at this same time right here on His People. Thanks for listening.